You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome into a special Thanksgiving edition of the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Mason Choate, joined by Andrew Hutchinson and Alex Trader. Um, guys, there was a great game last Saturday, Arkansas versus Alabama. I don't know if any of us expected it to be that way. Um, I felt like Arkansas would be competitive, and I had heard from some Alabama people that they didn't feel great about it, but I don't know if I would have guessed that it would have come down um, to the fourth quarter, basically. Hutch, just from your perspective, I mean, Arkansas played great, would you say? Yeah, if you had told me before the game that Arkansas would have the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead, I would have said, sign me up 100%. Uh, that, that would be incredible because what we've seen with this series lately is that it's a blowout. The last four games, I believe, were decided by an average of 39 points, You know, obviously in favor of Alabama. Uh, so to get a competitive game like that, not just competitive, but competitive down to the wire, you know, requiring an onside kick recovery, or I guess onside kick out of bounds, uh, that that's that says a lot of what Arkansas has done this year and how far they've come in you know a short amount of time under Sam Pittman. Alex Trader, I want to ask you. You're the you're the Ohio State expert. Um, Jamison Williams really burned the Arkansas defense, and Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, did a great job. I mean, threw for 559 yards and five touchdowns. So. Um, we knew going into this game that Arkansas was going to have some trouble shutting down that Alabama offense, but did you expect 559 yards from Bryce Young and then add on almost 203 touchdowns for Jamison Williams? No, I, I did not expect the over 500, I think, you know, and if you were watching the game on mute, it might have been one of the quieter 500 yard performances possible just because it seemed like the offense was just moving at a normal pace um, even though you end up scoring quite a bit of points, it, it's your. It seemed like the it was pretty consistent, and then you have the big catch and run every now and then, and that's what you get with Jamison Williams. You get oh, here's a slant across the middle. He's just faster than everybody else. You saw it at Ohio State, and you've been seeing it all year this year. He's one of the best receivers in the SEC. Um, the last play, you can argue if that was a catch or not. I don't think it was, but but that's you know that that's just kind of turning stones at this point but I think you did see on that one play where he beat he beat everyone deep you saw that multiple times at Ohio State and it's just something that you know the dude's got speed and it's going to be tough for anyone in the country to cover him more importantly for our listeners Traylon Burks eight catches 179 yards two touchdowns and he did it I don't I don't know what percentage we would say he was at but he clearly was not at a hundred percent and he, I mean, we talked about KJ Jefferson putting the offense on his back against LSU. I'd say Traylon Burks put the offense on his back against Alabama. Um, Hutch, I mean, we're just so lucky to get to watch that guy play. And you know that you might have just one more game with Traylon Burks, maybe two. Yeah, that's it's sad to think about that, but he's probably going to be a first round pick and probably a high first round pick uh, this coming April. Uh, but to see the season he's had, even though I, I don't even know if he's been 100% healthy all year. I mean, he had the nagging you know, foot or ankle or whatever it was at the beginning of the year. And, you know, they talked about him being kind of beat up, you know, coming out of the open date, using that to get healthy. And then, you know, having some sort of shoulder or chest injury or something, you know, early in that game against Alabama. I mean, it was I think it, it was the second series of the game that is the one that he missed. And to still go out there and make the catches he did. I mean, he was making incredible back shoulder catches. He was outrunning Alabama defensive backs. I mean, guys that are, you know, probably have NFL futures. That is a huge, huge credit to him. And probably, uh, as I say, made him some money uh, once the draft rolls around. The guy throwing the ball to Traylon Burks, K.J. Jefferson. I mean, it seems like every single game he's getting better. You talk about K.J. Jefferson, and he protects the ball. I think, you know, before the season they talked about we want 65% completion percentage. I believe I saw a stat he's at 66%. So, I mean, K.J. Jefferson, this is a guy that you're going to be able to count on next year um, to be one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC in Hutch. I mean, where do you think he comes in in the SEC right now? 
Well, here, I'm going to give you a stat first. So KJ Jefferson uh, threw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and completed 70% of his passes against Alabama. The only other quarterback that's done that against Alabama since Nick Saban's been the head coach, you might have heard of him. His name's Joe Burrow. So uh, pretty incredible and, and good company to be in, and he's been phenomenal. Uh, I think I read where he's completing 76% of his passes in November, and that's not even with the cupcake game mixed in there. I mean, that's against Mississippi State, LSU, and Alabama, three really good defenses. Uh, so he has been incredible. I think he deserves to be right up there in the conversation of top three or four quarterbacks in the SEC this year. Uh, you know, Bryce Young, he'll be back next year, but Matt Corral is going to be gone. You know, Stetson Bennett has had a pretty good year this year. He's probably going to be gone, I think. Uh, there's some other guys in the league, but I think K.J. Jefferson has a legitimate case to be preseason All-SEC coming into next year. Obviously, you know, behind Bryce Young, who could still potentially win the Heisman, uh, but right behind him, K.J. Jefferson, he's going to have to find someone else to throw the ball to because, as we said, Traylon Burks is going to be gone, but uh, he has got all the talent and stuff to make you really, really excited moving forward because he is just a redshirt sophomore. It would be hard to talk about this game against Alabama if we don't mention some of the biggest moments of the game and that they come down it comes down to some of the calls that were made on the field including the Dominique Johnson touchdown run and then the play that came before that the Warren Thompson catch and then Alex Trader you mentioned the Jamison Williams touchdown catch so I just want to ask you um <laughs> I don't even know what to ask just like what are your thoughts on what happened because it feels like it wasn't just Arkansas fans who felt like something was wrong it seemed like it was a consensus around the country that um, that it just wasn't right. You had Bo Nix coming out, who's been the beneficiary of at least three wins in his career based solely on officiating, coming out and saying, oh, you know, Alabama gets unfair calls. It was ridiculous. You were sitting there in the living room and you just had no idea what was going to happen because that Dom Johnson touchdown run couldn't have been a more clear touchdown and they had to go review it. It made no sense. Um, I thought the play before was probably a touchdown based on what was called on the field. I don't, I didn't see enough to necessarily overturn that, but that happening the very next play, like, Oh, let's see. Let's see if him getting three yards in the end zone was actually a touchdown. And then you come down to that catch at the end. It was, I believe it was fourth down or uh, maybe a third down waiting to force a punt. And it's in the back of the end zone probably should have been caught a little bit cleaner than it was as good as Jamison Williams is. Um, he bobbled it a little bit. He didn't have possession of the ball when he was going to the ground, so he had to establish himself and finish through the catch. He didn't do that. The ball was moving. You could see it hit the ground. And then not only were the, the was the officiating bad, I thought the announcing was particularly poor in this one. There was, uh, you, you saw a lot of, of what a lot of people complain about when you're watching an Alabama game, and, and you can see why. It was um, even just watching, trying to be like, oh, well, this is what's happening in the game. If you were just listening to the game, you would think Alabama was up by 100 points. And that's that's kind of a disconnect between what the viewers are looking for and which, what you were getting from the, that announced team. Probably the biggest play of the game, uh, for Arkansas at least, was the Reed Bauer touchdown pass. Um, I, I feel like maybe Arkansas has used up their fake field goals for the rest of the year, but um, what it does is it takes a little bit of pressure off of Cam Little and um, the O-line when they're blocking for field goals, I guess, because the other team has to be on their on their tippy toes thinking, are they going to fake it or not? So, Hutch, I mean, just what a play that was. And then um, do you think maybe they might run another one? Yeah, that's going to be tough. I mean, you've already ran two in back-to-back -back games. I don't know if they've got anything else up their sleeves, but, uh, you know, credit credit where credit is due. Scott Fountain has been heavily criticized by myself, by many others, but the special teams have seemed to be improved, and then you throw in the extra dynamic of the fakes. I mean, credit to him, and I think, uh, you know, maybe they don't have any fake field goals up their sleeve. They, they seem to have a lot of trick plays on offense. Uh, maybe they try something on a punt. I don't know. I mean, Reed Bauer has – he didn't look particularly fast on his first down run against LSU, and he didn't look particularly comfortable throwing the ball on the fake field goal against Alabama. Sam Pittman said that <laughs> earlier in the week 
he was couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. So um, I I would say we probably we're probably done seeing fake field goals at least this year. I mean, they, maybe they have something dialed up for next year, but uh, for right now, I think it's I think we're we're done seeing that on 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 the field goal unit. Real quick here, Hutch, we got to wrap it up, but I want to ask you just about the Arkansas defense. Um, you know, it's late in the season. It was Alabama, but are there any glaring issues where um, you think maybe maybe this could be a problem in these last two games? Well, I don't think they're going to face anybody quite like Jamison Williams again, so it's kind of take that with a grain of salt. But, I mean, Sam Pittman said if they were running, you know, deep, I think they call it cloud coverage, where you got three deep safeties where you're – only job is don't let someone behind you. And yet Jamison Williams somehow got behind them. Uh, that's a credit to him having, you know, elite track type speed. Uh, I don't think Missouri has anyone, you know, quite like that on their roster. And I don't think whoever they get matched up with in the bowl game is going to have that because I don't see them. I don't see them playing Ohio state in the college football playoff or anything or uh, something like that so you don't have to face you know elite level receivers like that but it is concerning that you still let a guy run by you in those coverages and that was concerning but hey you got to give him credit for for stopping the run uh very very well especially early on getting a fourth down stop like they did getting tackles for loss they did get a few sacks there were some good things i just i just ran into an elite elite offense and an incredible quarterback on an incredibly hot day in bryce young all right, well, that's going to do it for Alabama Talk. Coming up, we're going to talk hoops. Arkansas goes to Kansas City. They play Kansas State and Cincinnati. Hutch will talk with Jackson Collier, J.C. Hoops about that. And then we're going to talk about Missouri. Hutch is going to talk to a Missouri um, expert. And then we're going to talk about ourselves here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas and HitThatLine.com. Welcome back to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Andrew Hutchinson. We're going to hit pause on that football talk for a second because Arkansas also has a top 25 basketball team, and uh, they are coming off wins over Kansas State and Cincinnati in the Hall of Fame Classic up in Kansas City. I'm, I'm happy to be joined now by our Hogbeat Hoops expert, Jackson Collier. Uh, Jackson, I know you, uh, you stayed up late and watched these games. I'm, I'm curious, kind of just in general, uh, before we really dive into it, what were your main takeaways from that 2-0 start? Well, it was impressive in general just being able to go in and beat two high major programs. You know, basketball is different from football. Where, you know, you have the Power Five and football, but you have different conferences in basketball, like the Big East, the American Conference, and some others. Um, that are still considered high major because they still have a lot of talent. Cincinnati is going to go up against SMU, go up against Memphis, go up against Houston. And, you know, Cincinnati has a really good team, so that's a really big win. And then on the other side, Kansas State being in the Big 12, that's a really solid high major victory. Look, Both wins look really good on a resume. And just as far as overarching themes for the team go, um, I was really impressed both with the team rebounding and team defense overall. Some areas to work out offensively, some some areas to be more consistent, but defense and rebounding were just really stuck out. Yeah, we'll start with that first game against Kansas State. Arkansas jumped out to an 18-point lead. I think it was an 18-point margin at halftime. And then Eric Muslin did the patented stall ball that he has become famous for or infamous for in the state. Uh, I'm curious, kind of what, what your take is on, on how they played it that last 10 minutes against Kansas State, kind of letting them dig back into it, but uh, not enough time for them to pull off the comeback. So the first 10 minutes of the second half, it wasn't necessarily stall ball. So it was that final 10 minutes, like you said. And that first 10 minutes uh, looked like Arkansas played a little sloppy, played like they knew they were going to win maybe. Um, that was kind of what brought the margin a little bit closer. Now when Musselman went stall ball, I think Arkansas was up up 10 maybe when, when stall ball started or up 8 or 10. And that ended up being around the final margin. Um, essentially it, it did what it was designed to do, minimize the number of possessions, minimize the number of opportunities uh, that Kansas State would have had to come back and win the game. And, you know, what we saw uh, Arkansas do was go isolation with either J.D. Note or Chris Likes. You'd space out the floor and just go ISO, get to the bucket and see if you can draw a foul, you can make a layup. And that's what happened. Uh, Chris Likes iced it with 10 consecutive free throws down the stretch. 
Um, J.D. Note kept getting to the rim, and there were a bunch of shots, too. It would have been a larger margin of victory. J.D. missed two or three uh, kind of contested layups that he normally makes, too. Um, but the whole uh, scheme and the philosophy of, of stalling there worked in their favor. Uh, I guess that was Monday night, and uh, it's, it's worked in their favor for the, for the most part since Musselman's been in Arkansas. And in the second game against Cincinnati, they, they jumped out to a really early lead uh, and then kind of let it slip. And that second half, I think there were like 11 lead changes. Uh, I'm curious, you know, they, they did that without shooting the ball worth a darn. I mean, they, they could not hit, uh, you know, water if they fell out of a boat, as people like to say. And uh, I'm curious kind of what your take is on them being able to find a way to win against a solid uh, Cincinnati team despite uh, those shooting woes. You know, it just really speaks volumes to the level of composure and the just overall um, ability to win games on this team. Um, you have Audis Tony being able to grab rebounds and finish at the rim and uh, draw fouls. And, and he's hitting his free throws a lot better uh, this year than he ever did at Pitt. I think he's shooting around 78 or 79 percent. I could be off on that number. Um, but around there this season from the free throw line, and I think he was shooting around 67% at Pitt last year, and that was his highest single season percentage. Outside of that, you still had, you know, some shooting woes, like you mentioned, but you still have guys scoring the basketball. Um, Connor Vanover's getting to the free throw line. He was putting the ball in um, on putbacks and stuff. J.D. Note was getting to the free throw line. Chris Likes was getting to the free throw line. So when you look at the ability to score the ball with the with the time stopped at the free throw line, that's a great way to be able to come back and, and claw yourself back into a game. There were times Arkansas was down as much as six, I think, maybe, maybe just four. Uh, if either four or six, Arkansas was down late in the game. Um, and it just uh, – being able to draw fouls and stop the clock and make free throws – really uh, help them claw back in. And that's the kind of stuff you have to do if you're not hitting your outside shots. And they kind of, um, it seemed like they didn't shoot as much in the second half when it, when it was a close game, when their shots weren't falling. They kind of picked up a little bit later after JD had hit another one. Um, he, he took a couple more in the second half and made a couple more. I think he finished two for seven from, from three, which isn't terrible uh, considering that the team was zero for 10 in the first half. Um, but the ability to score at the free throw line and then also the ability to prevent the other team from scoring. I mean, they did a really good job of playing defense and keeping Cincinnati from scoring a ton of points either. So you got to look at it from that lens too. If you're not hitting your outside shots and you're not scoring a ton, well, one way to, I guess, uh, minimize the importance of that is if you play good defense, you, you force turnovers, you, you rebound the ball and uh, shorten their uh, Cincinnati's possessions, and you just play good defense and make them miss. You mentioned Odisi Tony there for a little bit, you know, the transfer from Pitt. He, he really took, I mean, it, to me, it seemed like he just really just was relentless on the boards. I, I think he scored 19 points against Cincinnati, also 14 against Kansas state. I'm curious if he's kind of, lived up to what you expected or is there anything about his game that maybe has surprised you a little bit you know I was really high on Tony coming into this offseason I put all over on the hogbeat forum uh, and even a little bit on Twitter that I thought he was going to be the most important and most impactful transfer uh, I think I even at one point uh, used the word focal point uh, of the team. Now, Muss has gone out of his way to say they don't draw plays for him. So focal point might have been a little inaccurate, but I do think that he is that uh, most important piece. And I think he's lived up to and surpassed uh, any expectations that I had for him. Um, I expected him to do a lot of what he's doing, maybe not be as good of an offensive rebounder as he has turned out to be. Um, but I also expected him to be more of a uh, wing threat, more of a shooting threat outside. He's shooting, I think, 50% from the three-point line this year, but he's only shot two or four. Um, but either way, he has that capability. But what he's really proven is that he's one of the best cutters or slashers in the country he always finds the open spot he has great iq great feel for the game and obviously great effort i mean a, a lot of uh getting offensive rebounds is effort and just feeling where where the ball might bounce knowing where the ball might bounce feeling the right spot so you get those two uh traits together you get the effort you get the the feel of the game 
and you're going to have an elite offensive rebounder. And that's what Tony is. Um, he has 19 of the team's 60 offensive rebounds on the season, uh, which is right at that uh, 33% number, which is like last night where he had six of the team's 18 offensive rebounds. Um, so he, uh, by himself is accounting for 33% of the team's offensive rebounds all in all surpassed my expectations there and kind of on pace with what I thought he would do offensively, just in a different way. Another guy I wanted to talk about a little bit, you know, extra is, is Jalen Williams. Uh, he doesn't really score a lot, but man, he does basically everything else. I mean, is there anybody that maybe his game reminds you of, whether it be college pro and then uh, just kind of what do you make of his season so far? It's hard to say that his game reminds me of anybody because it is really unique to have a 6'10 uh, center slash power forward who will draw four charges a game, who will lead the team in assists um, and have a positive assist to turnover ratio uh, while also being able to knock down the three. I think coming into last night's game, he was shooting 40% from three on the year, two for five. I think he missed one last I think he was 0 for one last night, so that might have dipped a little bit but um all, all of that is just a very unique skill set so I don't know if I can necessarily uh peg one specific type of player um I know a lot of Arkansas fans will say he harkens back to big O that was before my lifetime so I can't make a uh a, a, a for sure comparison there but uh, I think if you look at statistically big O is probably a more gifted scorer but uh everything else kind of probably lines up but as far as his season, um, I really thought that he would take a big step this year, and he has so far. I thought maybe he would have been utilized more offensively, uh, maybe more in the pick-and-pop game, maybe letting him shoot more of those threes. Um, you know, he's shot – he's only shot six on the year, I believe, and I think a couple of those were as the shot clock was expiring. So still not shooting a ton, um, not scoring a ton, but, you know, he gets garbage baskets occasionally. He would get offensive rebounds. A lot of times he'll pass out of offensive rebounds because he has great court vision and best time to shoot a three uh, three pointers off of an offensive rebound. Um, but all in all, uh, his his defensive effort, his defensive uh, just mindset is one of the best on the team or even in the conference. Uh, the ability to draw four charges in one game like he just did uh, that's just uncanny, especially at his size. Um, the ability to pass as a big is so underrated. It, it's great that he's getting so much attention for it, but if you have a post player who can pass, your offense opens up completely. Um, if, if he can somehow find a way to, I don't know if it's just because he's not being asked to or they don't need him to right now, but if he can find a way to kind of hone his low post offense, score a little bit in the low post and maybe score a little bit on that pick and pop action. He could be one of the best uh, players in the conference, maybe even the country, because then you add a little bit more efficient uh, scoring, more efficient offense, um, and just being a more, uh, more potent scoring threat. You have one of the best rebounders in the country, one of the best post passers in the country and a legitimate 10 plus point scorer all in one player. Um, but still, great strides uh, from last year to this year. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with his play this year. I mean, the, the passing that he has is is just phenomenal. And, and you mentioned Big O, Oliver Miller. Uh, he's kind of the guy that, that I've seen people make comparisons to as well. But he, like you, was before my time. Uh, so, yeah, that, that it, it's been a really good start to the to season for Arkansas. They are 5-0 and now. Uh, they've got a matchup with the Penn Quakers out of the Ivy League coming up. I know the Ivy League can kind of be tricky sometimes. They play some good basketball up there for, you know, a bunch of smart people. Uh, so that's going to be a good matchup. I can't remember the start time off the top of my head, but I know that game is Sunday. Uh, and so you should be able to, to make a, a fun weekend of Arkansas sports uh, with the football game on Friday and day off. You can maybe watch some other college football and then on Sunday, uh, get into Bud Walton Arena for a game against the Penn Quakers. So with that, uh, coming up after the break, you're going to be hearing my conversation with Gabe Yarman from uh, PowerMizzou.com. Uh, gave some really good insight on the Tigers ahead of this matchup, and that's coming up after the break. 
You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas and HitThatLine.com. Welcome back to another edition of Know the Foe. I'm Andrew Hutchinson, the managing editor of Hogbeat.com, your Arkansas site and the Rivals Network. The Hogs gave number two Alabama a scare last week before falling 42-35, and now they're back in Fayetteville for their annual Black Friday matchup with Missouri. With that, it's time once again to go to behind enemy lines for some insider perspective on that upcoming game. Gabe Yarman covers the Tigers for PowerMizzou.com, our friends over at the Missouri Rivals site. Uh, and he was kind enough to give us some time today. Gabe, appreciate it. How are you? Not bad. Just uh, trying to pack everything into like two days this week, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's always a short week for the football team, but also a short week for, for us sports riders. So, uh, you know, let, let's start with kind of a 10,000-foot view of, of Missouri's season. I know they had some close losses early, probably a disappointing start, uh, but they've won their last two games, and now they're eligible for a bowl. Uh, how would you characterize year two of the Eli Drinkwitz era? I, well, it didn't start well. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, actually, that's not true. It started okay. I mean, they, they put up a game at Kentucky in week two, and everybody actually came out of that a little bit encouraged. And then I, I think where it really swung was week four. They lost in overtime at Boston College, and Connor Bazelak threw an interception. And then for the next four weeks, Missouri was just awful. I, I mean, didn't even show up against Tennessee barely showed up against AM. I mean, both those games were basically over eight minutes into the game. And they were sitting, you know, three and four, and everybody thought, we don't know where this is going. They got healthy against North Texas, but then they go down. And it, it, it's weird to say in a 43-6 to six loss that they found some things they felt good about. But they went to Georgia, and they actually played – decent run defense you know they had a couple freshmen move the ball at quarterback and and they felt okay coming out of that game and, and then they came back had a little confidence beat South Carolina beat Florida and all of a sudden people are saying hey if you could get one more win this thing really ended on a good note right because I think preseason expectations were about seven and five some people had eight and four but if they could beat Arkansas this season probably ended up exactly where they'd expect but maybe not in the way they expected that said, obviously beating Arkansas is, is a little tougher than probably most people thought it was going to be three months ago. Yeah, for sure. And, and diving into things more specifically ahead of that Arkansas game, I, I'm wondering what you could tell us about Connor Basilak. I know he's been hurt and missed some time, but uh, has he made the strides you would expect from a quarterback in a second year as a starter? Um, short answer. No, um, longer answer. No, not at all. I mean, his, his numbers look very similar to what they were a year ago, but it hasn't been as good a year because last year, his big strength, I mean, he was prototypical game manager, which everybody said is redshirt freshman. No issue, man. Just, you don't have to go win games. Just don't lose them. And he didn't do that as a freshman. And then this year, after that interception against BC, for his next, I, I want to say, five games, he had nine interceptions. And, I mean, he was it was like one touchdown in nine interceptions. It was not good at all. Um, he got hurt at the end of the Vandy game, didn't play Georgia. But Missouri fans have wanted a new quarterback for a solid month. And Eli Drinkwitz just hasn't done it. Uh, to the point where the last two home games, I mean, Basilak was booed. And fans – We'll say, well, no, we were booing the coach. No, you were booing the coach for playing the quarterback. Everybody knows what you were booing. And, uh, you know, they've got a redshirt freshman named Brady Cook who has played a little bit, who we don't know a ton about. He's looked, he's done what they've asked him to do. The one the fans want is the true freshman, Tyler Macon, because he's a four-star kid, top 250, elite 11, kid out of East St. Louis. And he just isn't ready. And it doesn't matter how much you tell the fans, look, he isn't ready. He can't go win games right now. That's the guy they want. They want to see him on the field. Um, it's not going to happen this year. Uh, Basilak is the guy. And look, he deserves credit, right? He, he threw a game-winning two-point conversion against Florida. Like, that, that was a big play. Um, Missouri fans, it'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason because they've got three quarterbacks. They've got a, a top a, – 150, 200-ish type kid coming in, Sam Horn, next year out of Georgia. Now, he's a baseball player, too. He's not going to be here in the spring, so that might limit his ability to win the job. But I think Missouri goes into spring football with at least a three-way competition for the starting quarterback next year. 
And it hasn't been all bad on offense, though. I mean, this this may surprise some folks, but Tyler Beatty, the running back, is fourth nationally and leads the SEC in rushing. Uh, but looking at his game-by-game log, it seems like he either goes for 200 or he's held under 100. Well, why is that? Yeah. I mean, is there anything you've noticed with his season? Well, there are a couple things there. Um, it, the Southeast Missouri State game, he had nine yards for 81 – or nine carries for 81 yards, and then they sat him for two quarters. Uh, the Georgia game, he had nine for 41 and basically didn't play the second half because that was out of reach the other way. Um, so, yeah, he's got four 200-yard games. He had 146 last week against Florida, including two carries for 25 yards for the touchdown in overtime. I mean, he has been – a couple weeks ago, somebody asked Eli Drinkwitz just what's his value been, and he said, well, he's been five wins valuable. And that time, Missouri was five and five. Now, what you take from that is Missouri doesn't win a game without Tyler Beatty on this team, and it's not that far from true. I mean, they still would have beat SEMO. They probably still would have beat North Texas. But I think that's it. I don't think they win another game without him on this roster. And it's weird to say that the most valuable player in the SEC is on a six and five team. But I'm not saying Beatty's the best player in the SEC. I'm just saying if you take him off this team, it truly makes a four win difference. And I don't know if there's anybody else you can say that about in this league. That's that's impressive. And and just uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like on on Friday. Uh, but moving over to the other side of the ball, uh, Missouri, statistically at least, uh, has the second worst defense in the conference ahead of only Vanderbilt. Uh, is that a matter of talent? Is it a scheme issue? Are there injuries that have, have led to it? Or, or what would you kind of diagnose those issues to? I, I feel like you just took that question directly off my message board for the first two and a half months of the season, because that's what everybody wants to know. And the weird thing is, it actually has been pretty good for the last two weeks. But it was, I don't even have words. I mean, I called it the worst defense in the history of organized football on our site a couple times. It was horrendous. I mean, they gave up almost 300 yards rushing to Central Michigan in the opener. And everybody said, well, it's the first game. And this Lou Nichols kid, who actually is the second leading rusher in the country now, you know, you, you never know. And then they gave up over 300 to Kentucky. And everybody said, yeah, but Kentucky likes to run the ball. And then they just kept doing it. You know, I mean, they could literally all you had to do was turn around, hand the ball off, and you were getting seven yards of play. That's not even an exaggeration. It was like 6.8 yards of carry for the first half of the season. Um, they have made some personnel changes. Uh, they moved Chad Bailey in at middle linebacker. Blaze Aldridge, a, a transfer from Rice, who started this season at middle linebacker, actually got benched now is playing the weak side linebacker. So they've, they've kind of flip-flopped that. Devin Nicholson has gone from starting every game for a year and a half to four snaps the last two weeks. That's made a difference. But is it talent a little bit, but they weren't nearly as bad as they looked? Is it scheme? Probably a little bit, but they've gotten better. So two things are at play that, that people don't like to acknowledge. One, they just have improved, right? They're playing better. And two, we hate the answer, well, what's wrong? Well, we're just not executing. But that really is the answer. Like, Missouri's defensive line was getting beat up front for eight games. And, I mean, I'm not just talking about kind of moved out of the way a little bit. I'm talking about you went back and watched plays, and they were getting moved off their spot by three and four yards. Um, And those guys are winning battles now. Isaiah McGuire looks like a guy who should be – you know, maybe get some preseason All-SEC talk next year. Trey John Jeffcoat has suddenly become the player we all thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season. So more than anything, they're just – they're playing better now. I think some Arkansas fans might argue with you about the worst defense in organized football. They, they, it's not too far removed from John Chavis, so uh, – Okay. But I digress. Uh, I, you kind of mentioned a few guys right there, but, I mean, who are the key players on Missouri's defense that Arkansas fans should be aware of on Friday? Yeah, I mean, Jeff Coat and McGuire at defensive end, I think kind of set the tone for for this defense. I mean, like I said, they they really didn't do anything up front for seven, eight weeks, and now those guys are playing well. They've actually – those have been the, the league's defensive linemen of the week each of the last two weeks. So those guys are important um, in helping set the edge on the run. Uh, Bailey is, is a guy that has changed things up a little bit at, uh, at linebacker. And then 
in the defensive backfield, they get a kid, their slot corner, who, which I mean, I assume that means he's going to be up against Traylon Burks quite a bit, uh, is Chris Abrams drain. He's a kid who actually came to Missouri in the 2020 class as a receiver, uh, made the switch to defensive back about halfway through um, last season. And he's been Missouri's best defensive player. I think he's got four interceptions. He's had another couple taken away uh, by penalty. But him and then Jalen Carlisle at safety are, uh, you know, they've been opportunistic. I'm not going to say they've been perfect because nothing on this defense has been perfect. There have been some hiccups. But those two both have like four picks and, and have made some plays. And, I, and as we all know, I mean, everyone can talk about the Iron Bowl and, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, but this is the famed battle line rivalry presented by Shelter Insurance. Yes. It seems like Coach Drinkwitz up there is, you know, based on his comments at SEC Media Days and stuff, has kind of bought into the rivalry, and Sam Pittman mm-hmm. has said all the right things and with the media. But the fans here in Arkansas aren't, aren't quite there. Uh, what's right. kind of the feeling up there in Missouri, the fan base? Do did, did they, did they buy the rivalry? I mean, it's a little, it, it's the closest thing they have to a rivalry right now, I guess. I mean, the, the truth is Missouri's series against South Carolina has been a, a more entertaining series and, and it's been, I, I say more competitive. I don't mean to say this hasn't been competitive, but let's be honest, Arkansas has got to, got to win one here to, to get that going back a little bit, but it's getting there. It's okay. I, I think there are some storylines with Drinkwitz being, you know, he talked about this week sitting in the Southeast end zone and in Reynolds stadium and watching games and how it'll be a little bit weird to go back. And obviously Barry's down there and, and now Trey Williams and Markel Utzi are playing. So in Sam Pittman long ago was an assistant here. So there are some ties, but it, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see going forward. I mean, we haven't really had a year where both of these teams are actually good and playing for something. At the same time, um, you know, Arkansas obviously has has really rebounded this year. Um, Missouri's six and five. I mean, really, I don't know what these teams are playing for other than a little bit of pride and a little bit better bowl game. Um, it, it's decent, right? I mean, maybe get the corporate sponsor name off of it, but I don't know. Drinkwitz made a big deal of winning the Mayor's Cup two weeks ago against South Carolina. So I guess if there's a trophy, it's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and finally, the last thing I got for you. Uh, last I checked, I think Arkansas is a 14 and a half point favorite. Uh, you don't necessarily have to give a prediction here, but I'm curious what maybe you'd say the keys are to Missouri you know, staying in the game. And do you think they're capable of, of pulling off the upset? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, that line was higher than I expected. I, I definitely expected Arkansas to be favored, but I thought it'd be closer to 10. Um, now, I think the lines are a little bit skewed by the fact that legitimately Missouri was the last team to cover in America. Um, the first time they covered, they were a 38 and a half point underdog to Georgia and they lost by 37. So, uh, but they have now covered three straight weeks. Um, you know, so uh, it, it was a little higher than I thought, but Arkansas is, is clearly the better team so far. They're playing at home. And um, I, I think Missouri has to like just limit the huge plays for Arkansas. I mean, make them, if they're going to go 80 yards and they're going to go 80 yards a couple times, then make them do it on, you know, nine plays, 10 plays, 11 plays, rather than letting Burks loose for 70 or, or something like that. So I think that's huge. And then offensively, I mean, they've just got to do something to help Tyler Beatty because I, I don't think it's a, realistic to say, Hey, just, yeah, we'll just have Tyler Beatty get 300 yards from scrimmage and win this game. I mean, it's happened a few times, but this would be Missouri's best win of the season. And so they're going to need some other guys. They're going to need something out of the passing game. They're going to need some guys to make some plays. Cause I don't think it's reasonable to go in and win this game. 17, 14. Yeah. I'm expecting it to be a, a little bit more high scoring than that for sure. Uh, that's all I got for you, Gabe. You know, thanks again for, for giving us some insight on the Tigers. As a reminder to everybody, this game is on Friday at 2.30. Uh, it's going to be on CBS. Uh, and if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that way you can always see these Know the Foe interviews as well as press conferences, practice clips. we got recruiting videos up there. Uh, and then, as always, be sure to check out hogbeat.com for coverage of all things Arkansas. You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas and HitThatLine.com. All right, back here on the Hog Beat Hour, we're going to talk about Missouri right now. Guys, this is a Missouri team that just became bowl eligible over a Florida team 
that uh, consensus is they're not very good. They fired Dan Mullen, so for good reason. Um, but you look at Missouri, they haven't really beat anybody good, and they, it hasn't been that impressive. And Hutch, you talked with Gabe, and Gabe said they might only have two wins if it wasn't for Tyler Beatty. So um, what do you think about this Missouri team, and do you think that they're kind of just one-dimensional on offense? Yeah, it sure seems like if you stop Tyler Beatty, then you stop Missouri. Uh, I mean, he's a threat on the ground, obviously. He's fourth in the country in, in rushing, and a Doak Walker uh, finalist. Uh, but he also is, is effective through the air. I mean, I think you said he's got like 53 receptions or something like that. That's, that's pretty impressive for a running back. So if you stop him, you probably stop their, their offense. And, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a Missouri team that should not scare you. I mean, they, they do have some decent pieces. I mean, they're still an SEC team, so they're capable of beating you. They're not Vanderbilt, uh, but they did struggle against Vanderbilt earlier in the year. And, you know, they, uh, they lost to Boston College. Uh, they, their wins are against, like, South Carolina. Maybe South Carolina is their most impressive win, or, or Florida, which, as you said, is not exactly impressive. So uh, this is a team Arkansas should beat, you know, on paper. But, again, it's Arkansas-Missouri weird things happen in this game uh, and you just never know how it's gonna how it's gonna finish up until there's you know zeros on the clock yeah you always got to take into account the rivalry rivalry factor and we know that a lot of people don't consider this to be a rivalry um they think that it's kind of it's kind of forced i guess but it seems it seems like it's sort of becoming when you you hear from the players you hear from the coaches I feel like there's a little bit more to this game than there has been in the past few years. So, Alex Trader, I want to ask you about Connor Bazelak, the Missouri quarterback. Um, he's kind of struggled this year. Uh, Hutch said before we started recording that, I mean, some Missouri fans are calling for him to not start anymore. So, um, you think Arkansas can take advantage of this guy and the struggles that he's been having? Yeah, I think you certainly would be uh, happy to have him coming in after what happened last week uh, in the passing game. Um, Basil, I, I, coming into the year, I had him as one of my favorite quarterbacks in the SEC to kind of pop off because he did have uh, quite a few you know, really nice games last season, and he just has not taken that next step at all. Um, you know, he, he's looking at 235 for 350, not really throwing the ball too, too much. Um, 16 to 10 touchdown interception ratio, just not stuff you want to see from a starting quarterback of a team that uh, is going to come in and knock off an Arkansas team that is ranked in the AP poll, probably going to be ranked in the CFP uh, rankings tonight. It, it just doesn't seem like a great matchup for uh, the Missouri offense to be coming in uh, and trying to throw the ball against an Arkansas defense that, that has at times been very, very good against the pass and at times been pretty bad. Um, I think this is going to be one of those games where you could see Arkansas look a lot better than maybe they, they might actually be based on the quarterback player scene. So last year, KJ Jefferson started the game against Missouri and man, he had a great game. Traylon Burks had a great game. Um, Arkansas's offense had a great game. The defense, not that great. Um, lost 50 to 48, but Hutch, this Arkansas offense, specifically Dominique Johnson, um, and then there's some Missouri guys on the defense, the defensive line. Um, do you think that maybe this game means a little bit more this year? Um, and not even just for those guys who have ties to Missouri, but for the guys, most of the roster who suffered that loss last year that they felt like they probably should have won. Yeah, I mean, no one on this team has beaten Missouri, uh, at least in an Arkansas uniform. Uh, you've got a couple of guys that played for Missouri. You mentioned them, Trey Williams, Markel Lutze. Uh, they've been on the winning side of this rivalry game. Uh, but I think they, they really want to end that streak. I mean, just like they really wanted to end that streak against Texas A&M and get that trophy. They wanted to end the streak against LSU and get that trophy. Sam Pittman has said, you know, they'd like to go three for three and have all three trophies at the Arkansas facilities. And that would be a huge thing to say for Arkansas because I think whenever people got, you know, whenever Sam Pittman got hired, people – didn't expect him to come in and automatically beat Alabama and Georgia and teams like that. I think they were realistic. They said, Hey, we just want you to, you know, be competitive and, you know, beat a Missouri, beat the Mississippis, you know, maybe be competitive against the likes of A&M and, uh, you know, LSU. And, and he's done that. And so I think he is, 
I think it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, I think it's especially a big deal for the guys you mentioned. I mean, Dominic Johnson, for those who may not remember, was previously committed to Missouri. Uh, depending on who you ask, uh, how that recruitment went down, it sounds like Missouri wanted him to play linebacker, but told him they, he would play running back. And uh, Dominique's side says they were lied to. And then on signing day, uh, he rips off the Missouri uh, hat and shows he's got an Arkansas shirt on. So uh, kind of a dramatic uh, type of deal right there. I'm sure he's fired up. Sam Pittman said that he doesn't think he's going to be that fired up because he's just trying to play his best ball. But to me, that's coach speak. I think he's going to be ready to go and really wants to go out there and show them what they missed out on uh, when they wouldn't let him play running back. Now, this is this is a little weird, but if you look at Arkansas's record, you know, you're, they're 7-4. and four. Um, To me, there's a big difference between 7-5 and five and 8-4. and four. Um, And for Arkansas to win eight games this year, if they are to beat Missouri, just how big is that? Because we've talked about the turnaround. Everybody's talked about the turnaround that Sam Pittman has done. But with the expectations coming into this year, not many people would say eight wins was realistic. And you're sitting here and you're one win away against a Missouri team that's been struggling that you should definitely beat. So just like how big of a deal would that be, Hutch? Two years ago, Arkansas lost to San Jose State and was blown out by Western Kentucky. They were 2-10 and in back-to-back years, and they had lost 19 SEC games in a row. That right there tells you how big an 8-4 and four season would be for Arkansas in year two. They have come an incredible amount from where they were during that, you know, Chad Morris era. They were terrible. They were the laughingstock of the SEC, and now not only are they, you know, respectable, but they're actually good. I mean, you, you make a two-point conversion against Ole Miss, and, you know, you maybe take advantage of one break here or there against Alabama. You pull off that monumental upset, and you're staring at a possible 10-win season. And, you know, I know folks only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but that's still incredible. And they, they, were, they were not even competitive against crappy SEC teams just two years ago. So getting to eight wins would be huge. I think, you know, it would help you when it comes to bowl selection. You know, maybe get to go to Florida for a bowl game instead of being sent to, you know, Memphis or, you know, somewhere you know, like Houston that you've already been that you don't really get excited about. Yeah, I'm in Florida since I guess guess since the 2006 Capital One Bowl, uh, the Capital One Bowl following the 2006 season with Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, and those guys. Uh, so that would be huge for Arkansas to, to get a bowl game like that. Uh, so yeah, eight, eight wins would be just absolutely massive for this program. Now, specific to uh, the Arkansas offense here, I'm looking at this stat. Missouri is 125th in the country in rush defense. They're allowing 234.7 rush yards a game to opposing offenses. Alex, I mean, this is just right down the alley for the Arkansas offense, especially for a guy like Dominic Johnson, where, you know, you've been seeing it from some fans. Uh, a lot of people think that he's going to go for like 200 plus. I don't know about that, but this this Arkansas backfield should be able to have a field day with Missouri. Yeah, I'd say the backfield itself is probably more of a lock to have a better better game than just picking one guy because there is that four-headed monster back there. Um, you saw Traylon Smith had a really good game against Alabama for the most part, was able to break off a couple of runs. Um, I, I think with that matchup, especially with Traylon Burks maybe being a little bit banged up, he took that hit from Will Anderson at the end of that game. You're not really sure if you're going to be getting him. I know he did it against Alabama, but you're not sure if you're going to be getting him uh, at you know that, that 80, 90, 100% range. I think it's going to be a huge day for the running backs, and it really comes down to – how many carries do they want to give each guy? And is the offensive line going to be able to hold up? And, and if they're able to out physical and be out there and be tougher the way that they have in, in so many of these close games throughout the year in these rivalry games, then I think Missouri is going to have a really, really tough time stopping much of anything that, that Kendall Bryles wants to do. Well, it's at 2.30 um, here in Fayetteville, Razorback Stadium. Guys, let's, let's just go ahead and talk about what we think is going to happen, give some predictions. Uh, Hutch. We'll let you go first. I mean, it, uh, it, it seems pretty easy, but what do you think is going to happen? You know, I, I think the line opened at like 16 and quickly fell down to, to 14 and a half points in favor of Arkansas. You know, we heard Gabe earlier say that he was surprised the line was was like that at that high. Um, 
it makes sense to me, but I just I don't know if Arkansas is going to be able to cover it. Missouri is just one of those funky teams, and it's Black Friday. You know, we saw it. You know, with Arkansas and LSU. Sometimes Arkansas had no business competing with LSU, but were very competitive and pulled off a bunch of upsets on Black Friday. So uh, I think it's going to be a relatively close game. I feel like it's going to be one that Arkansas controls most of the time, but they're never able to fully pull away and blow them out like I'm sure some Arkansas fans probably hope they do. So I, I would take Missouri to cover, uh, but I, I think Arkansas wins the game. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a another one of those weird games where you know you would think that Arkansas would just blow them out of the water, but um, it is the rivalry aspect. Missouri's coming off a a big win for them against Florida, and then Arkansas, you know, for the most part, they came out healthy against Alabama. Traylon Burks is a little beat up, um, but I I don't know. I think that Arkansas they they've just taken it from Missouri so much that. I think that they want to they want to show Missouri that Arkansas is back, that Arkansas is they're they're a good football team now. So I I just I just really see the Hogs controlling this game. I'm afraid that there might not be that big of a crowd because it is Black Friday, which is weird. Um, but I don't know. I, I I can see Arkansas covering for sure. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, anytime you get past those football numbers, it becomes a little tougher because, you know, Arkansas could dominate this game in every aspect, be up 21 points late in the fourth quarter, and, and one touchdown just sets that cover away. Um, I do think the Razorbacks are good enough to do it. Missouri, really a bad – they're 110th in the def- or in the country in total defense. They've only outgained three teams on their schedule this season. Southeast Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina didn't outgain – was out, actually really outgained by Florida last week, and that's a team that – is really not very good. They were toe to toe Stanford just two weeks ago. Um, I think, you know, last week you get bowl eligible, you get that win over Florida. You had Drinkwitz bringing out the lightsaber and saying, may the force be with you as kind of a get back at, uh, at Dan Mullen. Um, and I, like you mentioned, Mason, I think this team was stomped on for the last couple of years. Uh, last year was the start of a turnaround. They almost won a close one. Um, and, and now I think, you know, I, I don't like this term because of how it, or where it's been used in the past, but revenge tour really seems like what Arkansas has been on this year, going after those big wins and, and trying to collect those trophies. And I don't see any reason that, that Missouri should be able to stop Arkansas from bringing home another trophy this year. Like I said earlier, kickoff 2.30 p.m. It's going to be on CBS in Fayetteville. So uh, don't miss it. And thank you guys for listening to the Hogbeat Hour. I've been Mason Choate. He's been Andrew Hutchinson. He's been Alex Trader. Um, Happy Thanksgiving.